You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I guess this is technically an emergency pod because we typically do not record on Saturdays, but here we are. Uh, we are recording on a Saturday because um, the Bucks did a bunch of stuff uh, right before the the Lakers game, and I was going to try to record something before the game with Frank, and it just didn't work out. So now we are here recording on a Saturday. Uh, we have a lot to cover. We have the Bucks beating the Lakers 131-120 last night. We have uh, the Bucks reportedly signing Pau Gasol on a buyout deal, and we have the Bucks extending Eric Bledsoe uh, a four-year, $70 million extension. So um, I think... I think this qualifies for an emergency pod. Is that right, Frank? Yeah, it was uh, about as, uh, I guess, action-packed as you're going to find a Friday in uh, in the regular season, especially post-trade deadline, right? I, thought, I think we <laughs> yeah. we would have presumed that uh, the majority of wheeling dealing was done at the deadline. But um, Eric Bledsoe, we, we've talked about how Bledsoe and, and Middleton and you know Brogdon have been eligible for extensions, um, but... I think we've probably mostly talked about why Middleton, just because of limits on extensions, you just can't pay him anywhere close to enough to really make it worth his while. You have to wait till July. But Bledsoe's in a in a very different position, right? Because he's making fifteen million this year. And we thought maybe he gets a raise, but not a massive raise. So, you know, I think this was in play, but I think we certainly assume that that most likely you'd wait until after the playoffs, especially given you know Eric's playoff performance last year, but um, obviously big news that the Bucks are you know seemingly laying the groundwork for keeping the band together, or at least a large part of the band. <laughs> and um, I think in the grand scheme of things, I mean we'll see what the final accounting is on this contract. Um, you know, I, I imagine I have to think this will be an escalating contract to give them as much flexibility as possible uh, in the next year or two, uh, just cap wise. Um, and then the big question, obviously, is like, is there a partial guarantee in the last year, which obviously would make it more team friendly as well. But um, either way, I think this number, you know, if it's escalating, 15.6 million would be the lowest it could start at and hit 70 million total. Um, I think it's a fair deal for both sides. I don't think he was going to have a massive market. Um, and, you know, I again, I think, you know, this knocking this out now rather than waiting until July, um, I think is important. You know, it, it kind of just gives you one less thing that you have to do uh when july one hits and again there were i know a lot of debate about you know how good is eric bledsoe going to be next year two years from now three years from now maybe four years from now um but obviously he's been a really key part of what they've been doing arguably the second most productive best player on the team this year even um and so you know again i think you know when you have a 60 plus win team you aren't looking for reasons to toss a grenade down the hatch and and totally change things up and, and obviously we'll see how things go in the playoffs but um i thought it was you know fair value for both sides and and obviously i think it keeps the bucks on track to kind of keep doing what they're doing yeah i think there's a number of interesting things here and y- you mentioned you know you don't know what this will look like next year the year after year three year four and you know the the thing i mentioned to you when we first saw when we first saw the deal come down was you know you don't know what this is going to look like in the playoffs. And again, there, there's not a reason to think that Eric Bledsoe is just going to fall apart and, uh, you know, totally discombobulate in the playoffs. But I mean, if you would have asked me last March, if there was a reason why Eric Bledsoe was going to totally discombobulate in the playoffs, I, I don't think I would have, uh, I, I would have struggled to come up with one. Uh, you know, I was sitting at Staples last night, thinking back to last year where he scores 40 points in a game in Staples and carries the Bucks to a win, and it was just like, yeah, he, he 
I just thought back to how well he was playing at the end of last season. And again, it was just a spot where, again, I, I don't think he's going to fall apart in the playoffs. I think Bud's system helps him out quite a bit. But, you know, there still is that question. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason why this deal is so interesting to me. Because, um, you know, when you think about when you think about Eric Bledsoe and kind of the contract uh, with a $70 million deal, that's, uh, I guess, an average of 17.5 per. Um, and obviously you mentioned how it will probably escalate. Um, but, you know, you think about 17 and a half and, you know, I, I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday and it's like, okay, so if Bledsoe plays like he is now and had done it in the playoffs and the Bucks make, you know, a two or three round run, like, does 17 and a half bump up to 20, 22? Like, you know, like it, with his skill set, I do wonder what it could have bumped up to. And then, you know, I think of the inverse as well. Like, okay, if he has, if he has another bad playoff series and poo-poo's the bed again, like, oh, does that bump down to, I don't know, like, does that bump down to 15? And it, it just made me think about the market because Rich Paul is is not someone who who loves early extensions. <laughs> um, it, Rich Paul is obviously someone who, over the years, has has taken his his guys very deep into uh, in off season to get the the contract value he believes they deserve. And you know, I just thought it was interesting that he was willing to get an early extension done, which you know would suggest to me, like you had said earlier, that. You know, maybe the market was a little bit softer for Bledsoe uh, than I don't want to say anyone thought, but you know, just that that was the concern, right? That you know, when you're looking at this Bucks offseason, all these guys could just get so much money, and you know, uh, how how are the Bucks going to pay all of them? And now all of a sudden, you see Bledsoe at seventeen five, and it's like, okay, that's that's probably a fair number, but if Bledsoe's camp is willing to sign it, that also in some ways inherently says that it's an overpay because they're feeling that that's a good thing that we should sign it now rather than wait for it so you know it it is to me just the idea of a rich paul guy signing the contract early like that to me was just very surprising i i can't imagine rich paul you know agreed to this deal in a vacuum, not knowing anything about what might have happened this summer, right? I mean, ages. what? Come on! <laughs> I have to imagine Rich Paul, uh, you know, floated this idea to other teams of what an Eric Bledsoe on the free agent market might look like. Um, but it's also kind of complicated because, I mean, the teams that might have point guard needs really aren't like teams that are any good, right? You know, um, and there aren't that many teams that either you know, don't have an established point guard or don't have like a young point guard that they're grooming to be a starter. So, you know, the, the, the universe of teams that would make sense to kind of go in on Eric Bledsoe, especially at his age, right? I mean, it's not like if you're a rebuilding team or an up and coming team that, you know, 29 year old point guards are like at the top of your list of guys to go (laughs) after. So he's, he's a guy who always, I think made some of the most sense in Milwaukee. Um, You know, the spacing the Bucks have, um, we always talk about it in the context of Giannis, but it also maximizes Bledsoe to a large extent, I think, offensively. And the way they play defensively, I think, also obviously puts a, a premium on what he can do. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just this was the best place for him anyway. And, you know, for the Bucks to go after a Kemba Walker, I mean, you're literally talking about having to pay Kemba Walker twice as much. I mean, Bledsoe, if he's at 15.6... That's basically like a little shade under half um, starting salary wise of what Kemba Walker could make on a max. And again, I think Kemba is just going to take $200 million from the Hornets this summer, which, you know, good luck Hornets with whatever they're going to do long term. But, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, the other options you would have had would have been, you know, go after, I don't know, is Ricky Rubio going to be available, right? I mean, he's a guy that has been connected with the Bucks at various points. Milton Newton used to be his GM in Minnesota. Um, you know, again, like maybe you could get Ricky Rubio, Rubio for slightly less, but any guy that you're going to get at a number similar to Bledsoe is going to have big trade-offs as well, right? Like you're not getting the perfect point card in the in the realm of what they're going to pay Bledsoe. And even if you pay twice as much, 
you know, I'm using Kemba as an example. Um, I mean, Kemba is not like a flawless fit either, right? I mean, um, there's obviously things, especially defensively, that Bledsoe does better, and they're the same age. So, you know, again, so um, again, it's just uh, it's kind of a recurring theme. Like to to make a big splash with another team's free agent this summer, the Bucks were always going to have to give up multiple guys that they currently have. You know, you know, we talk about like the key guys that you want to bring back on this team. There's definitely challenges, especially now that you have Miritich in the fold as well, in terms of, you know, how do you bring back all of these guys? Um, but to to give up on, you know, to say like, well, we don't want to, we don't want Eric Bledsoe as our point guard. It it's really complicated to upgrade on that because, especially if you want a big upgrade, it's going to require probably sacrificing two or three guys, right? Bledsoe plus yep. Miritich or plus Brooke Lopez, something like that. Which, again, the scenarios are just really complicated, and so I think. You know, you can't just view it in a vacuum of what Bledsoe is worth. I think in that vacuum, you, you can say he's worth about that much, probably. I mean, he's <laughs> a good a good starting point guard. He's not an elite starting point guard. Um, you know, he's in that kind of ra- range where he could, you know, again, regress, obviously, and fall down the ranks, certainly. Um, but I think by RPM, he's like sixth among point guards in, in RPM. Um, Andy Bailey on Twitter, who always compiles a bunch of um, advanced stat rankings does this like advanced stat consensus where he looks at I think RPM and PIPM and win shares and maybe not win shares but like lots of these sort of like aggregate stats and rankings and does sort of an aggregate ranking to see like where kind of like how the league stacks up and Bledsoe has been in the top I think he was like 18 or 19 the last time I checked in the past week which is the second best of any player on the Bucks um, and so again like the numbers he's putting up this year are just really really good he's been really effective. You know, he's he's a guy that I think is a winning basketball player at this point. And now it's just a matter, as you said, of translating that into the postseason. And um, like you said, I mean, there's no fundamental reason why Eric Bledsoe can't be good in the playoffs. It's not like he's, you know, going to get exposed defensively. I mean, if anything, you know, he's a guy that should should not be, you know, exposed um, the way some teams might uh, have issues with like small point guards. But um, you know, again, like the, he, he's in, in a way, he's sort of like a microcosm, sort of the Bucks in the bigger picture, right? Which is having a great year. Wow, so impressive, playing great on both ends. Now it's just doing it in the playoffs, and he's sort of like the exa- the exaggerated version of sort of the, you know, I think I don't know if I want to call it a referendum, but just sort of the, the broader view people have of like what what are the Bucks? It's just to me, it's a really it's a really interesting deal that I did not expect. Like I just I didn't expect it, and. You know, I think one of the things that it really, to me, kind of simplifies is you you look at all of the all of the things that could have happened this summer. So, say this this deal doesn't happen, and you go into the summer with you know with John Horace juggling five different contracts or or, or whatever it's going to end up being, and or, well, yeah, I guess it would have been because you've been Miritich Lopez. Middleton, Brogdon, Bledsoe. So, you know, you're juggling those five things. And, you know, I, I think if we're going to continue this analogy, like uh, the, you know, like Mirtich and Lopez are like maybe like apples. And like, you know, maybe like Brogdon and Middleton are like watermelons. And then Bledsoe <laughs> felt like, like a chainsaw. Like, because... When you look at the like at the point guard position, like as you I have no idea what to do with that metaphor, I'm just going to let you take it. I, I don't ask me what, what which fruit other people are, but go ahead, just, <laughs> just roll with it. But but like why I say Bledsoe is like kind of a chainsaw is because you know when you're when you're playing out all these scenarios, I, I just think there's so many different ways that Bledsoe like that point guard position could have gone. Like if you're looking at like, I think maybe the most volatile aspect of this off season, it was, it was the Bledsoe deal because I, I think Middleton's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's going to be a deal, probably 30 million or up to the max for Middleton. And either you're going to pay it or you're not going to pay it. Like uh, to me, that's, that's where it is. And then Brogdon, you know, you have those restricted free agent rights. So, okay. Um, are you, are you going to, is he going to get another deal from someone? Are you going to work it out beforehand? But essentially it's going to come down to, are you going to pay him? Or are you not going to pay him? And then, you know, when you look at Brooke Lopez, obviously you can talk about the cap ramifications of all this, but obviously you're, you're hoping to get him for the MLE. 
and get that mid-level exception. And, you know, either you're going to get them or you're like, you're not like, I just thought with blood. So it, it was really kind of a, just a weird spot where I thought his contract could have gone a bunch of different ways. And then from there, like, okay, if you don't get blood, so does that mean you go the, like you mentioned the Kemba Walker route and you're going to try to get a, a clear upgrade at point guard, or, you know, if you don't get him, is it, okay, let's, let's find a defensive first point guard. And, you know, then you'll, you'll make sure you get Brogdon Middleton and they can pick up the offensive slack. And then you just have this defensive guy, or is it, you find a guy like Rubio who's going to be slightly cheap. Like I just thought the Bledsoe portion of this off season to me. And again, maybe you disagree with this. I just thought that was the most volatile and that kind of changed things around the most for me um, as you're trying to figure out exactly, you know, how all of this could go down. Um, would you agree with that? Or do you think there is something that's a little bit more volatile with that offseason? Um, no, I, I think I agree with, with the premise. Um, I don't know about the power tool stuff, but uh, the power tools versus fruit stuff. But <laughs> I think the uh, the thing with Blood, so he's probably the guy that you could most easily have seen the Bucks coming into July deciding we're going to go a different direction or, you know, we need something different um, because – Look, I think this year has shown like Brogdon. Brogdon is more of a shooting guard now than he ever has been before. I don't know. I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of like using Malcolm Brogdon as a point guard again. <laughs> like God no. The the God, idea no. of of you know let Bledsoe walk or you know if if there was some offer for him that you didn't want to match or something like that. I know he's not a restricted guy, but you know negotiation wise, if you just were like ah, we don't want to pay you twenty million dollars a year that some other team is offering, who knows, right? Um, I would not have wanted to say, well, no, that's fine because we'll just have Malcolm play point guard. That I, I agree with kind of what you're saying. You'd have to kind of go different directions, right? Like you go cheap. Is Pat Beverly somebody you can get on a cheap contract? And, you know, yeah. he'll, he'll bring you, he'll probably replicate defense. And then, you know, he can hit some threes, but like offensively has none of the like kind of attacking dynamism that Bledsoe has. Um, yeah. You know, or Rubio, who's just kind of a different player, also kind of a, you know, meh shooter. Um, can't fin, you know, not, not an attacking score guy, but great passer, good defender, you know, there's kind of ways you can could have like kind of approximated maybe some of what Bledsoe does. But, um, again, yeah, he's, he's different. Nick, if you just said like the Bucks wanted something different, wouldn't have shocked me. And so I think it's kind of cool because, I mean, we talked coming into the season, like was, was Bud going to be a guy that liked Bledsoe? We didn't, we didn't know like that. That was probably, (laughs) I mean, it's ironic that that Chris was the one guy that we've heard had sort of like, you know, had a bit needed to have a bit of a reckoning with his role and all that, because um, I would have thought like, if there was a guy who would butt heads or might, you know, just fall out with, Bud coming into the season, I might've picked blood. So just because, you know, like we saw last year, I mean, some of the decision-making as far as his shot selection, um, you know, some of the, the, the waxing and waning of his effort defensively, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, a strict coach is not going to not going to be down with. But, you know, the reality is, I mean, we've heard Bud say he gives Bledsoe more leash than anybody on this team defensively. Right. He said that, that he just like <laughs> lets Bledsoe do his thing, which is pretty remarkable for a team that has Giannis, um, who's like the ultimate yeah. roamer, as, as we, we like to point out. Um, so the fact that like they have obviously seen eye to eye and, you know, had a, a I mean, I don't even want to make it sound like they ever were off this off the page. Um, although it's interesting that, you know, it sounds like Bud challenged him a little bit in the last week or so after he had kind of those, you know, a couple of like, meh, you know, passive games, which which is interesting, right? Because he hasn't been, you know, he didn't look like a contract year guy, Jack and shots when he was quiet against the Pacers or the Celtics. It was kind of the opposite, like, yeah. you know, being, being too passive. So um, for him to, you know, respond with, maybe his two best games of the season and back-to-back efforts winning, basically winning that game in Sacramento. And then last night, basically winning maybe with a little more help, but, but basically winning that game in LA. Um, I mean, it's, it's a, it's just cool to see, right. It's just cool that, um, that obviously things have worked and, you know, I mean, it's nice that, that, you know, bud, like, you I mean, you were there, like bud just seemed really genuinely happy for Bledsoe when he was talking about it, I don't think it might've been pregame or I don't know if it was pregame or postgame. Yep. Um, and that's cool. Just cool to see. Right. And I think it just speaks to where the bucks are as a franchise. Right. I mean, 
winning winning breeds content contentness winning breeds chemistry winning breeds you know this the spirit of of everybody being together and and wanting to keep this going and you know again like i think it'll be a much bigger conversation around middleton we've already had this a bunch of times but like i said you know if you have something that's working really well like you you build on it you don't you know like you got to be really careful you know um I'm not, you know, the Bucks are not perfect, but you know, the don't mess with perfection idea. They're the best team in the league. Like now is not the time to be, you know, taking that chainsaw. I'll dip into your mix, your med, mixed metaphor thing. <laughs> you know, you, you, you take a chainsaw to this roster. You better be careful. I mean, we've we've seen the team, you know, um, when things have gone well, like you know, in the past. I mean, you go back to 2001, right? Like that roster changed really quickly. And not for the better, whether it was Anthony Mason, whether it was then, you know, breaking up the big three. I mean, good things can can go awry very quickly. And there's no guarantees, obviously, that, you know, Bledsoe is going to be the same player or, you know, close to the same player for the next three, four years. But um, again, I think that obviously gives this gives you a very good chance because, again, like you look at the other players we're talking about, like Rubio, Kemba, Beverly. I mean, these guys aren't and we're not talking about like, oh, you're going to get like a 24 year old version of Eric Bledsoe. I mean, the, you can't. You're not going to get that guy unless you just completely strike it rich with some move that nobody sees coming. But um, so again, I, I think you know, kudos to the Bucks front office. Um, I think you know, it, it's almost like election night. You know, where you're just like waiting for results to come in state by state, and it's like you know, okay, we need to run the table on these five states or whatever, whatever the yeah, you know, yeah. going totally different metaphor. Um, and this is like the first one that we're calling right, and um, <laughs> it's not just. You gotta. It's not just that you want to get these guys back, but that you want to get them at the right numbers because it impacts what you can do with the other guys. And so that's where this whole politics metaphor goes out the window. But um, I think that's the other big piece of this, right? Like if you had said Bledsoe's getting twenty million dollars next year, that's a big difference than sixteen or fifteen and a half or whatever Bledsoe's going to be, right? Um, that, that that's a really big difference. All you know, the few million here and there matters a lot when you're talking about having to you know smush all these contracts in. Whether it's even if you're willing to go over the taxes, we've talked about a lot. You know, if you want to use the full tax, non-tax mid-level on on Brook, then there's a lot of different moving parts here that have to line up in in the right way. And you know, again, it's especially with that factor. You know, this is more than just it's it's not just a matter of like, oh, are the Bucks willing to pay the luxury tax? I mean, I think they are. Alex Lazary on this podcast a couple months ago, you know, or yeah, I guess a couple months ago told us yes <laughs> from from yeah. ownership on down they will pay the tax if this team shows that they can compete for a championship and um they are been even better since since alex joined us on that podcast I, I, don't, I forget what their record was at that point but they have been even better since then and you know again um you never know what might happen in the playoffs but but clearly this team is talented enough to to compete at the highest level and um you know again i think in that context um you know being being smart about how, how you can bring these guys back especially if you know not all that money in the last year is guaranteed um you know again i think it it does well to, to kind of keep your window open and it gives you i think you know again it, it gives you a little bit more ability to to kind of make the rest of these pieces that are gonna have to fall into place the rest of the summer uh happen and you know also just some of these discussions too right like like you're talking to eric to to malcolm brogdon if you if you tell Malcolm Brogdon we're going to give you and, and I'm just making stuff up I don't know what what these discussions are going to be like I wouldn't be shocked if Malcolm Brogdon says I'm 50 40 90 you know I'm 26 years old I'm in my prime someone would pay me 20 million dollars as a as an unrestricted free agent even though I'm restricted so I want 20 million dollars a year that wouldn't surprise me at all well the Bucks can now say well you know Eric Bledsoe look at all his all all of his numbers right all of <laughs> yeah. his numbers are very comparable the advanced numbers are better than Brogdon's. Um, he took, he took 17 and a half over four years. Um, we want to give you whatever, you know, something less. Um, so again, nothing happens in a vacuum, but again, I think, you know, they're all related. If you had given Bledsoe a huge number, I think that increases the likelihood that the neck, you know, Brogdon in particular would demand a huge number. Um, so I think again, like, you know, it's all about just, just keeping these things in uh, in in kind of a good proportionate place and with blood. So I think I think they did that. And you know I think you know certainly is the 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 downside risk. Um, 
I mean, again, you knock on wood, it's been remarkable that we have not had to talk about Eric Bledsoe and injuries basically yep. at all in the last two years. Um, he was a guy, obviously, that there were concerns around with, you know, uh, what does he have, half a meniscus left in his knees, yep. something like that. Um, but, you know, really, and I think even the year before in Phoenix where he was shut down just because they were tanking, he's been actually very healthy the last few years. He's obviously a physical freak in terms of his strength and athleticism. Um you hope, obviously, you know, his nickname used to be mini LeBron. You hope that he can age <laughs> like LeBron has physically. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that happens. I don't, I don't think you want to plan on anybody aging like LeBron. Um, but obviously you hope that, you know, his body and the way he takes care of it, the way the Bucks training staff has taken care of him last couple of years, that that continues and, um, you know, knock on wood, if he can stay healthy the next couple of years, you know, again, uh, maybe won't be great at the end, but, um, you know, I think it'll be a manageable thing. And, um, obviously that's, that's, that's a big, big key piece of this as well. And, and, I, and then let me return to the one thing that we always talk about when we talk about this, you bring this guy back. It's one closer step to saying to Giannis, Hey, you know, what's working so well, we're going to keep doing it. The guys that are making you better, the guy that the guys that are complimenting you, the guys that are giving you a chance to compete for a title, look at this, we're spending, we're committing to these guys, you know, next up, Chris Middleton would be the obvious one. Um, and we'll debate about that. I've, I saw a couple of people like ask me like, Oh, or say that like, Oh, like somehow this would indicate that Middleton's gone. Whereas I think you would probably agree. Like to me, this is just a reiteration that, you know, they're going to try to keep Chris and all these other yeah. guys. Most likely Miritich probably is the, the most complicated because he's kind of the newest addition and, you know, does, isn't a starter, but, um, but yeah, I mean, to me, this, this is a clear statement that, they are going to try to keep the the core of this team together and it's not going to be easy but you know one down and four to go i guess all right so some things uh, i was trying to keep some notes here while you were talking um 21 and 9 is the record of the bucky bucks when alex lazary was on our podcast on Thursday, December 20th, before the Bucks traveled to Boston. Um, <laughs> the Bucks are 48 and 14 at this moment. So uh, if you want to do the quick math there, uh, that's a that's a 27 and 5 record um, <laughs> from the moment that uh, Alex said they might be willing to uh, dip into the luxury tax to put to pay a team that can contend. Um, so the the argument for them being contenders has only grown stronger. Uh, since that moment, but um, just kind of thinking through all of this, I, I thought I, I asked during pregame. Obviously, I thought you could see, you know, Bud's since I guess just his sincerity. I don't know if it was joy. I don't know if Bud feels joy. Um, he, he might not. <laughs> he, he might not be willing to let himself get that far. But like he was, like you could tell, he was sincerely excited for for Bledsoe and, you know, the fact that they were able to come together on this deal. And, you know, the thing I'd asked him was like, obviously a lot of guys have improved this year, but it does feel like the guy that has improved the most is Eric Bledsoe. And, you know, the guy that it feels like you've connected with most is Bledsoe. Like, you know, I didn't say this to him, but, you know, when we were talking about the bud bump before the season, like we were trying to figure out who those guys might be. And, you know, like we were thinking about some of the wings because Hawks University had always done such a nice job with wings. But, you know, like it ended up being Eric Bledsoe. Like, whether or not these are the best numbers he's ever put up in his career, you know, I think this is very clearly the best basketball he's played in his career, the most valuable basketball he's played in his career, the most winning basketball he's played in his career. And, you know, I asked why that was. And, you know, Bud was kind of quick to, you know, bump away and say, like, hey, you know, like a lot of guys have improved. I don't want to say my connection is any greater with him, but – you know, you just point to so many things like the fact that I think both of us believed like, okay, you got to give Eric Bledsoe set rules and, you know, you got to find a way to get him out of those lapses and kind of doing his own thing. And Bud was just like, eh, screw it. Bud or Bled, you, you do what you want. Like, do you, like what? Like that's the exact opposite of what I thought would have been effective for Eric Bledsoe this season. And, you know, that's just kind of, I mean, it, I think it speaks to Bud and, you know, how well he understands his players and, you know, how well he can connect with guys. And uh, Bledsoe is obviously a guy that he's connected with and he's gotten the most out of. And, 
then post game, I think it was my most favorite quote and it, it didn't come across all that well, like in writing, I, I wrote it out after the game and, you know, it didn't come out great in writing, but, you know, essentially I asked Bledsoe this question where it's just like, um, it kind of got to the point that you're making before that Bud has been on him in the last like week or so. And you would think that would, uh, you know, maybe not be the best sign for contract extension. And, you know, I, I've kind of phrased it as like, you know, with Bud, it hasn't just been like, oh, Eric, you're great. Like, Blood, you're the man. Like, you're, you're the best. Like, Bud does, like, ride his players. And, like, he does kind of go go back at you and push you a little bit. And Bledsoe's like, yeah, you know, like, as much as he does, like, pat us on the back and, and say good job, like, he does always go through stuff with us. And then he's like, then he started laughing and he was like, and, you know, just talking to you about it right now, like, I'm just imagining, like, the fire red in his eyes as he's yelling at me. And I was like, okay. Uh, but, like, I, Bledsoe was laughing about it. And he, he's like, it's great. Like, that's something that I really enjoy, that I, I like being pushed that way. And, you know, I think before the season, I think both you and I might have thought that would be a good way to turn Eric Bledsoe off. That in a contract year, you start riding him, you start telling him that, you know, you need him to do all these things, you need him to get better at this, and you're yelling at him. And, like, I would have thought that would be a way to have Eric Bledsoe just say, screw you. Like, I don't need you. I'm in this contract year. Like, I, I, need, to get, I need to get this money. And that just hasn't happened. And, you know, I think it speaks to both parties' maturity that – you know, Bud was able to kind of recognize that maybe that's what Bledsoe needs, and he was able to push a little bit harder once Bledsoe was receptive to it, and to Bledsoe's credit that, you know, he took that and just kind of ran with it. So, you know, I, I do think it becomes very interesting, but obviously, you know, they they got it done, and Eric Bledsoe will be a buck for, for the next four years. So um, before we move to Pau Gasol real quick, um, Frank, can you take us through how much cap space this means the Bucks will have? Like just a, a general summer overview. I know this is probably better visually, and I would assume Frank will at some point in the next few days put out his little cap breakdown, which is very helpful. Um, but do you want to try to break it down uh, verbally here for a second, Frank, just so people have some idea of you know how much space the Bucks have before the tax and you know how they could possibly try to do that? Well, I love how you always put me on the spot with these, Eric. So thank you. Um, I, so I, I tweeted about but it yesterday. But you had to know it was coming, Frank. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I tweeted about this yesterday. I mean, I, I think the number effectively that they have to, to kind of like spend on the rest of the the team um, is something I think it was like, I think I said, uh, what was it like 56 million under the tax? Um, so, something on that order. Um, that, that's, you know, again, yep. and, and the tax is not like some hard and fast thing, obviously at this point, but especially with, with Lopez, if you're operating above the, the cap, which it was interesting. I read a Bobby Marks article on the deal. And Bobby Marks is obviously really, really smart on cap stuff, but First off, his entire article about what the Bucks summer looks like didn't mention Miritich a single time, which seemed weird to me. Um, you know, he talked about how like, well, they they could open some cap space if they like renounce Middleton, and again, obviously, you're also renouncing Middle- Miritich um, in that scenario. He didn't talk at all about you know the possibility of trying to move Ursan and Snell, um, but he was talking about like you know trying to free up cap space to to give Brook Lopez ten million of like via cap space and. So part of me was just like, am I missing something? Because certainly to me, the the obvious <laughs> path, like if you if you say, how do I take the, this current roster and keep all the best players together? Um, I mean, to me, the obvious path is, you know, look, you're going to need to shed some salary if you're going to try to get Lopez on um, the the full non-taxpayer mid-level, which is, you know, again, around 9.2 million starting salary. Um you know, I think it's like 5.7 is the taxpayer mid-level. I mean, if Brooke is willing to take 5.7 million, obviously that's phenomenal and makes all of this all this way easier, <laughs> right? Because you know, the challenge with um, with the cap um, is that if you pay the non-taxpayer mid-level, then 
you hard cap yourself because basically again it's the idea of like if you say we're going to pay some somebody this higher mid-level amount then the nba says okay but now you're saying that you're not going to you know go way above the tax and technically you can go into the tax if you use the non-taxpayer mid-level but you can only go about six million over the tax so effectively you hard cap yourself at this year like 138 million and change and this happened last year too, right? So when the Bucks gave Ursula and Ilyasova more than the non-taxpayer mid-level on day one of free agency, you know, people may remember, all of a sudden it became interesting because now you had Jabari Parker floating out there, but now you started to kind of get into scenarios where teams could offer Jabari Parker a number that the Bucks could not actually match because even though he was restricted, because the Bucks were had effectively hard capped themselves by giving Ursan you know, slightly more than the mid-level exception. So this year it's kind of, um, you know, and, and I tweeted about this this morning, but um, it's a, it's a time for another discussion. But I mean, how important is it that the Bucks did not give Jabari Parker like a multiple year contract last year? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't even know where this team is if that happens, right? Because if they have, if they end up paying a bunch of money, <laughs> they might not have even had the ability to give Brooke Lopez like seemingly that fairly small contract that they gave him in the summer. There's all these sliding doors ramifications to this much less keep you know, all these other guys together. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting scenario. And I, I think to me, what it comes down to is you're going to need to try to move Ilyasova. That's a no brainer to me. If you, I mean, if you just don't want Miritich for some reason or don't want to pay Miritich, then a lot of this becomes easier. Um, but I certainly would. Much- don't tell Bud that that's your plan. <laughs> Because that's not going to go well. I certainly would much rather have Miritich than than Ursan, um, and um, and I think every rational person would. Um, I, TBD on Mike Budenholzer, given how much he's leaning on Ursan right now. But um, you know, to me, the best version of this team is is you know Giannis, Brooke coming back on some number, DJ Wilson and Nikola Miritich being your four four headed monster at the at the power forward center spots. And then, you know, essentially a similar version of what you have now, um, you know, kind of moving moving back down the roster. Um, and so I think, you know, Tony Snell making 11 and change next year and Ursan, who's an expiring 7 million next year. Those are the obvious guys, I think, that, you know, again, their salaries are going to be outsized relative to what role they might have on the team. And again, I think Tony's really good. Um, you know, if the Bucks actually didn't want Chris Middleton back or decided that they didn't want to pay him, which I'm not expecting, um, then he becomes a lot more important probably. Uh, but, you know, even if he's playing major minutes, you know, 11 million for him is, is probably a bit rich. Um, so, you know, I think those guys are, are going to be really interesting to watch because if you move those guys, everything becomes way, way easier to pull off um, salary wise. So I would say, watch, you know, watch what happens with those guys. I mean, if Ursan kind of, you know, keeps himself together and, you know, I mean, that's the one upside of him continuing to play over DJ is it helps at least his market value and possibility of moving him in the summer, assuming he isn't just completely murdered in the playoffs, which is probably my biggest rotation fear at this point, given how much Bud likes to use him. Um, You move both those guys, then, you know, there's absolutely a much clearer path to keeping everybody. If you don't, then, you know, I think you're going to lose one of these guys and, you know, Meritich might be the the obvious guy to, to, to not be able to bring back. But, um, but yeah, I mean, basically like there's a path, I think there's a path to, you know, even if Chris gets close to the max, um, you know, if, if Brogdon gets, let's say something similar to what, um, to what Bledsoe got, um, you know, even if you got um, Miritich at, let's say like 14 million or something like that, uh, you know, if you can dump those Ursan and Tony Snell deals, which again, um, that first round pick they have, it's not going to be a great first rounder because it probably will be the 30th pick or, you know, worst case, maybe the 29th, 28th. Um, you know, you can trade, you can agree to a deal in late June to move those guys like into cap space, for instance, and then complete the trade after the draft, you know, basically on July 1 when the cap space officially opens. So you make a trade, you make the pick for a team. And then that also means that you're not violating the, the Stepien rule, which says you can't trade multiple 
future first round picks, which obviously the Bucks owe Phoenix a pick. Um, likely not this pet draft, but you know, likely the the well, we know it's not going to be this draft, but likely the next year, so twenty twenty. So I, I think that's kind of like a big thing to watch. You know, just like what do the Bucks do to maybe open up more more flexibility between those two guys, moving one or both of them. You know, maybe Ursan is an expiring deal. You can even move him without attaching you know anything much of value um and then you know you go into the summer with i think hopefully kind of agreements roughly in place right i mean i don't think you know again brogdon and 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 middleton you know you're going to be talking to those guys leading up to july so um, i think best case scenario yeah yeah. best case well i mean they're extension eligible so it's not even a it's not even a circumvention of the of the cap to do that or of the cba to do that so um so again i think hopefully um you you now focus on on likely those two guys next and with brooke it's really a conversation of like look nine million per year is going to be the most we can offer you most likely to start um hey we want to keep you like we want to keep the whole whole gang together you know name the number of years name your options whatever right i mean it's almost like you you kind of write them the the blank check for or at least in terms of the years and the options and, and all that other crap, just because you want to keep them at a number that would be obviously um, pretty attractive for the Bucks. So, um, so anyway, so I'd, I'd say that's kind of the big picture. Um, I mean, we, well, there's lots of scenarios, obviously, that we will break down. But, um, but again, I think this number, if it had been like I said, 20 million a year, then I think it becomes even even harder needle to thread. But I think as stands. There, there are scenarios, but again, it's likely going to mean having to try to move other guys. And by the way, another thing too, like when I run these scenarios, I'm usually factoring in, you know, Sterling, Pat Connaughton, and Christian Wood have non-guaranteed contracts next year. Um, it, certainly, you could see, you know, like Wood in particular, if he's not going to play this year, and you have this crunch, like, yeah, obviously, like, you know, you're not going to like go over the tax to pay Christian Wood. Um, but the flip side is he's making so little that you know, you're talking less than a million bucks because if you replace him with like a, you know, rookie, you know, uh, minimum type player. So there's not really that much savings to be had. So I just generally keep those guys baked in because especially Pat and Sterling, I don't think you're going to go find better, cheaper players when those guys make $1.6, $1.7 million. So I just keep them in there because, I mean, you're ultimately going to have to fill out a roster at the end of the day. And, you know, it's it's going to be really cheap guys and i assume you're going to want to keep guys that you like anyway so just kind of a footnote on all this um and and another thing too so that the end of the first round that pick will probably count around 1.9 million against the cap so um you know bear that in mind as well um like i said i think there's a good chance that gets traded as part of a salary dump move to keep these other guys but um you know again we're, we're in a different we're in a different world with the bucks we're in the holy crap we have you know a title contending type roster and so um yeah like you're gonna make some trade-offs you know the things you don't do where you don't want to trade first round picks you don't want to trade picks period like well you know now now i think you have to be more willing to do that just because again you are so good and things are working and um there's always trade-off there's always consequences but i think overall um you know the bucks front office i think has done so well in the past year really really after that ursan signing like we said the other day I think this this deal seems to kind of fit in line with kind of all these other moves as far as being just a very deliberate and um, and well orchestrated path to to being really good. All right. So one of the other things you mentioned, or you just mentioned the idea that you know this is a totally different world, and one of the other things we wanted to talk about was the Pau Gasol uh, report. And I'm just going to tell you right now, we are oh god, we are 40 plus minutes in. So that means we're going to bump the Lakers game off of this podcast. Uh, we can we can talk about that another time. Uh, we can rope that in with the Bucks jazz game that's happening tonight in Utah. Um, and I'll just say I don't think Giannis is going to play. Um, I have no sourcing on that. I just haven't thought he was going to play in that game for a week. Um, Bud deferred the option to actually answer that question when I asked it after the game last night. Not much of a surprise, but I don't think he'll play. But we can wrap up the weekend's games uh, after that. Uh, but kind of a crazy win last night for the Bucks, Like you said before, Bledsoe just kind of took it over and decided that he was going to win that game. Uh, and that's that's pretty much what he did. And, you know, I was getting ready to say LA Nightlife is undefeated in the third quarter. And then uh, a lineup of Bledsoe, Connaughton, Snell, 
Ursan Mirtich went on a 10-0 run and gave the Bucks a lead, and then they took advantage of it. Uh, or they, they just took it from there, which just doesn't really make any sense. But a fun one. We'll talk about it later. Um, all right, Pau Gasol. So here are my, here are my general thoughts on it. Um, we've talked for a while now, you know, what other weaknesses do, do the Bucks have? And, you know, it's, it's gotten very difficult. They're the best team in the league. How do, how do you try to find weaknesses? And then if you do have weaknesses, how do you find someone that's willing to sign on and play for your team uh, that can actually fill those weaknesses and, you know, can actually get playing time and uh, put themselves in a position to sign another contract after the season? And, you know, one of the spots that we said was, you know, a backup big that's a, a truly big body that, you know, if if Brooke Lopez happened to get hurt, if Brooke Lopez uh, happened to get in fall trouble against Joel Embiid, you'd have another big body to throw in there. And to me, that's what Pau Gasol is. Um, he is legitimately a large man. Um there's there's no taking that away from him and you know if you're if you're looking for someone to you know be able to take the beating of uh, another mountain of a man in Joel Embiid you know that's 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 a body that can handle it so uh to me I, I don't I mean I'm struggling to see any minutes for anyone in the big rotation now that Miritich is there like to me it should just be you know Brooke Lopez Miritich and then Giannis and then whatever other four you need for the night, whether that's Ursan, whether that's DJ Wilson, like it should have been last night. Um, but like whoever it may be, like I, I, I just don't really think there's any minutes there for Pau Gasol. But the fact that you're getting Pau Gasol, I mean, I think kind of speaks to the fact that obviously Bud and Pop know each other. That helps. Um, I think that helps. And then, you know, it just speaks to the fact that you're now a team where people ring chase. Um, which wasn't a sense I was I was really ready to say at the start of the year, but that uh, to me that's what it is, right? Like Pau Gasol, I think just about any t- any contender would have been willing to sign him, um, and now you kind of have a spot where you ended up winning that sweepstakes. And again, I don't think there's really many minutes for him, but that's a guy that's won NBA Finals, he's got rings, and you look at this the rest of the roster, and there's not a ton of guys that have a ton of playoff experience. Not that Powell's actually going to be in the game to help, but you know I think he will be a very helpful member of the Bucks locker room, and I think should be a, a helpful member of the team, even if he doesn't play a lot. Yeah, I, I, the the playing time thing was the thing that confused me most because I mean, first off, like you alluded to, you know, can you imagine a year ago, six months ago, like being told like, oh yeah, like. Pau Gasol is going to want to get a buyout from the Spurs so he can chase a ring with the Bucks. I mean, I mean it's just kind of like strange days. Um, um, but mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, it's interesting. You look at his numbers. Um, I mean, Pau's playing like 12 minutes per game this year. You know, he's kind of fallen on the fridges of the rotation. Um, but he's actually still like, you know, his numbers are like totally fine. Like his, you know, advanced metrics are pretty good for a guy that just is getting bought out and is available for you know nothing um so i mean i think he can still play a little bit i think obviously um you know positionally defensively he obviously is not going to play against every team um you know if you end up playing the raptors i guess you have like a soul brother to throw at mark um and but but i think for the most part you know uh he's obviously a guy that gives you that second legitimate center option um he can stretch the floor. He's not obviously like a quick trigger three guy, but he's been very effective shooting threes the past couple of years. Super high IQ, super skilled guy. Um, and as you said, great teammate, experienced, um, has won championships, uh, has been, you know, I mean, arguably he was maybe the best player on the Lakers in that one, that one finals where Kobe missed just like a million mm-hmm. shots. So um, oh, yeah, man. clearly it's so good for you that we don't get aggregated <laughs> and it's so good for you that Kobe stands won't be coming for you because that sounds like heresy, but it's a hundred percent correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, the fact that he's willing to come here either means that he just really doesn't care about playing at all. And he just wants to be on a championship team and kind of hang out with guys or the bucks have indicated that he will have some sort of role. And again, maybe it could, could Ursan finally fall out of the rotation 
Uh, <laughs> like, I seems know, unlikely. It, it seems unlikely. So I guess maybe they're just going to bench Giannis and start her son and throw a powder for backup <laughs> center minutes or something. Uh, I don't know, bud. That's, um, but, uh, but anyway, so, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting just how he's used, um, if at all. Um, and, um, you know, again, I think, uh, it's it's a cool thing they'll they'll be able to hang uh hang the spanish uh uh the spanish flag now in the uh the the training center um so that's that's cool (laughs) um and um you know we'll see i think actually um i think meritich also plays for the spanish uh national team because i think i believe he uh he got a Spanish passport when he was with Real Madrid. And I think he's played. So I think he he's did. Probably... We, had, we had a long conversation about whether or not he should have two flags up there. Like yeah. So now we, they, they we, just wanted to end the conversation. conversation. Yes. Correct. So, um, so presumably he knows Pau pretty well, uh, as well. And anyway, so I think it's a, it's cool, you know, um, I guess, you know, like we said, I think center made sense to add a body. I think it was a good, I think certainly the Bucks were shown to be wise to not make that move earlier just because, you know, losing George Hill, you had a few games here where Isaiah Kanan provided a little bit of depth, really didn't matter other than ironically the first game. Um, But now obviously you can just not take up, you know, basically let his his 10 day expire and, uh, and move on. And, you know, this is more or less your team. So, um, Action packed, so action packed that we didn't talk about a, a Bucks Lakers win, um, a Bucks win over the Lakers. Um, but I think, as you said, obviously Bledsoe was the the man of the hour, man of the day, and um, you know certainly a, a, a pretty incredible, really last I don't know seventy two hours for him with contract, awesome performance in Sacramento, and then an awesome performance uh, in LA. That you know a familiar thing. He he obviously played at Staples when he was with the Clippers and. A year ago, you alluded to it, dropped 39 and really kind of was the catalyst for a Bucks win against the Lakers at Staples and, you know, turned the trick again uh, on Friday in front of a national audience. And again, I was a little frustrated that Giannis didn't exactly come out with a, a you know, monster performance uh, against LeBron on ESPN. But ultimately, obviously, it's about winning and, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll obviously happily take those, even if some, some of the individual guys, including Giannis's numbers don't, uh, don't exactly, uh, pop off the page. So, uh, you know, first world problems, if, uh, if there ever were any, <laughs> it just speaks to this podcast now that like, we can only discuss big picture topics. Like just, just think about like when we first started doing this and it'd be like, okay, well we gotta, we gotta break down this game and then the other game. And like, that was how we got through things. And now like, we actually like can talk about a future and like you, you can actually talk about, Oh, like this is how the bucks will be impacted by this. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of crazy to think that, uh, you know, we're at a spot where the bucks are down two with two and a half minutes left in Staples center against LeBron and the Lakers going a 15 to two run in the things that we want to talk about are, you know, contracts and buyouts and ring chasing, like it, what, a, what a strange trip it has been, Frank. Uh, pretty wild stuff here uh, for the life of a Bucks fan. So, uh, all right, we will uh, we'll break down those other games for you and we'll, we'll do all of that on another podcast. This has been an emergency podcast, uh, obviously very urgent, so urgent that we waited a day to do it, um, but it's all good. Should be ready to go. Frank, have a great weekend. I'll try to do the same thing. We'll reconvene and we'll have another podcast for you guys on Monday. So for Frank, man, I'm Eric. Name this Ben Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys then.